Thank you, Lord, that in Jesus, you've shown us the way. Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. And through you, Lord Jesus, we get access to God. So we stand here humbled this morning and thankful, Lord, that you've made a way when there was no way. When all hope was lost, a light broke through and pierced that darkness. And you said that that light was good. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Though the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we are set free when we follow Jesus. When we make that choice to recognize him as our Lord and our Savior. We have our destiny changed. We have our path changed. Because Jesus has come to make all things new. If you agree, say amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. Awesome. Isn't our worship team awesome? I don't want to fall over this cable, so I'll just move it out of the way. Wow. Let's read the scripture. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, first 11 verses from the New International Version. And as I like to say, if you have a weaker version, that's okay. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we pray one more time? Father, we commit this time to you. And Lord, I recognize in a, in a room 
with this many people, there's people going through some very difficult things here today. So I just ask, Lord, that we would have this moment of respite, this moment where we could hear from you, God, that people could be at peace and be set free from the struggles and the challenges they're facing. That as we turn now to your word, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. And more than just speak to our hearts, Lord, but that you would put a path before us that we could walk in and walk through. Lord, we ask that you would increase in our lives, that you would rise up in our hearts, that our faith would be strengthened and our joy would be made complete. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are one week away from grand opening. So I'm excited, and if you're visiting with us, I'm so happy you're here this morning, and it's so great to be here this morning and to get to share from God's Word on this warm, warm winter day. As I was greeting people this morning, someone wished me a Merry Christmas. So I think I should pass it on to you. Merry Christmas. Turn to the person next to you and say, Merry Christmas. How many of you have started playing Christmas music? Everybody. Wow. Awesome. Christmas in July. Maybe we should do that sometime. The title of my message this morning is Stay Humble. Stay Humble. And we'll be looking at the connection between humility and exaltation. Because I believe the Bible gives us that principle of the connection between humility and exaltation. But I just need to have a little bit of a preamble before we get into talking about um, that message today. To say at the outset that I have not mastered humility. Shock. Just shock everywhere. It's funny, I... Is that the cricket? When I preach, there's always crickets. Don't worry about it. We have, a, we have a cricket that lives somewhere over there. You hear him? We want everybody to say, be saved, okay? Even the crickets. We're going to preach to everybody, okay? It's funny. I was talking to my wife this week, um, and uh, that's not the funny part. Um, she asked me, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on humility. And she laughed. Um, with good reason. With good reason. So, you know, I, I want to stand here and just make a disclaimer statement. I have not mastered this subject. I mean, how many here have mastered humility? Can I see your hands? One person, thank you. Okay, how many of you would like to hear a message on humility? Or how many of you would like to give a talk on humility? Who's rushing to give that talk? So when, as I was praying, and and the Lord actually gave me this message a while back, um, I didn't realize at the time what kind of a struggle it would be to come and actually talk on it. Because humility is that elusive thing, uh, that, that quality that 
you know, once you attest to laying hold of it, you lost it. Um, so I ask again, how many out there could use a message on humility? Amen. More of you are getting it. How many don't need one? You don't need one. They're the ones that need one. Okay. Just in case. It's funny. There's this um, cute story about um, a trial that was going to court, and uh, they had to call in to the courtroom what they call the expert witness. So they found this guy who had more degrees than Fahrenheit and Celsius and the whole thermometer, and he was a, an expert in everything, and the prosecuting attorney gets up and basically says, state your name, gives his name, professor, doctor, etc., etc. And he says, just for the court, can you tell us your qualifications and say, you know, what... What makes you qualify to give testimony today? And he said, out of all the people in the world, I am the greatest expert in this field. I have the most degrees, the most knowledge, the most accurate thesis ever provided in these fields. So I am the world's authority on this matter. So after he gave his testimony, he was talking with a friend outside the courtroom. And the friend was basically saying, what was that? You know, how you described yourself. And the professor basically turned and said, what do you expect me to do? I was under oath. (laughs) Humility. Humility. Humility fosters unity. We read from our passage this morning that, therefore, if you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, how can we claim to be united with Christ and not live in harmony and unity with the body of Christ? Whatever we have received from Christ, whether it be encouragement, comfort, love, a share in the Spirit of God, tenderness, compassion, all of these are gifts of God, given to us by the grace of God. The grace of God just means God's unmerited favor. And all of these gifts ought to be received in humility, and if so received, ought to foster our unity with one another. We all come to Christ with empty hands in order to receive from Him. We all come receiving the gift of God's grace, not because of anything we could do to earn His favor, but it's simply a free gift. Say, free gift. A little louder. Thank you. Point number two, humility, a characteristic of humility is that it is selfless. We live in a selfie kind of trend that's going on in the last number of years, right? I saw this one pastor a few weeks ago. He, he went on stage and he started talking about taking a selfie and he, he pulled out his phone And he says, you know, what kind of life are you living 
if you've always got the camera pointed at you. He said, maybe God wants to change your perspective. Flip the screen around. Humility is selfless. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. I think we've heard that one before. But it's thinking of yourself less. It's about putting others ahead of ourselves. Our passage says that nothing done ought to be done out of selfish ambition. So there's a connection between humility and valuing the interests of others ahead of ourselves. It's so interesting. We might be asking God, God, work in my heart. Bless me, Lord. And God gives you an opportunity to put, for you to put others ahead of yourself. And yet, we get confused by that opportunity in our lives. This amazing passage tells us that this mindset of humility, this putting others first, this selflessness, this desire for unity was the mindset that Jesus himself had. Remember Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If there was anyone who had reason to be honored, it was Jesus. He was in very nature God. Here's the point. Jesus never employed his true identity to his own advantage. He never employed who he was out of selfish ambition. I find this is so countercultural. Instead, he lived and he lives for others. Even now, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding. Isn't that awesome? Jesus did not work to establish himself, but rather he humbled himself to rescue those who were lost. There's lots we could talk about humility, but the point that I really want to drive home to you this morning is this. Humility is connected to the cross. How is it connected to the cross? I'm glad you asked. Humility required Jesus, the living one, to die. This is likely the greatest barrier for all of us in our own pursuit of humility. Humility doesn't arrive any other way. Humility isn't a product you can order on Amazon. You don't know what Amazon is? That's our church bookstore. The cost of humility is yourself. Every action of humility is a matter of letting go of yourself for the sake of another. Jesus gave up his rights so that we could be honored. He became a servant so that we could be served. He gave up his life so that we could live. Do you agree? Again, this often is the greatest barrier to humility because when we encounter a situation where we need to humble ourselves, what's actually required of us is we actually have to give up part of ourselves. 
Does that make sense? You actually have to lay down who you are and humble yourself. And that's not easy. Humility is connected to the cross. There's a, there's a really cool passage in John chapter 3 in these five verses, 26 through 30. It's when the disciples come to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, Jesus said, the greatest person who's ever been born. That's a great accolade. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Do you hear what these disciples are saying to John? They're like, hey John, you have a great ministry and that guy who was with you on the other side of the river you know, what he's doing now over there is he's baptizing people, although Jesus didn't baptize, but his disciples did. At least it's not recorded that Jesus baptized anyone. All the people are going to him. Aren't you upset that your ministry is decreasing? Aren't you upset that all of the blessing that you had and and the notoriety and really the blessing that was on your ministry and life now is waning because this other person is increasing? What was John's response? John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know what it says? It says in another place, Every good and perfect gift is from God. A man can receive nothing apart from what is given to him from God. Often we fight for so many things. We try to obtain so many things, whether it's influence or leadership or fame or wealth or whatever. And we never recognize that all of these things come only at God's hand. They're from His hand that we are blessed. Every good and perfect gift is from God. John knew this. John knew that a man can receive nothing except that which is given to him from heaven. Which means the opportunities that you have are ordained by God. The opportunities that you have to lead or to use your gifts, to use your talents, to use your abilities, to do what God has called you to do, those very opportunities in your life are God-ordained. You don't have to be afraid about using your gift. God is the one who's given it to you. So shine for the Lord. Just remember to give Him the glory. We, this, this particularly applies to to church life and ministry in my own life. Do you know that the day that I agree to come on staff at a church is also the same day that I agree to leave when my time has come? Because the ministry doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. And if the Lord opens the door, he can also close that door. 
Maybe for you, it's a, you would relate that to a, another, another job or occupation. And you might say, well, the opportunity is now for me to function in this way and function in this job. But when the Lord puts me in another direction, I'm not going to hang on to it. Why am I going to fight what God wants to do? It's time to move on. If he's closing the door, I don't want to be back there when the door is closed. I want to be on to what he's calling me now to do. Amen? When it comes to ministry in particular, people don't belong to to pastors. That's what John was saying. He's like, the ministry is not mine. A man can receive nothing except that which is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And he says this, he must become greater. I must become less. True honor comes from God alone. As we sang, as Jackie sang this morning, no greater honor, no higher calling than to be at your feet, Lord, in your presence. And this true honor comes from God alone. As Christians, our identity is established by our relationship to Christ. We aren't who we are by our own merits. The truth is that we ought to remain humble. We are what we are, and and we have what we have by the grace of God alone. We are blessed, yes, beyond measure, with every spiritual blessing, but that blessing is not because we've earned God's favor, but because it is the gift of God. John knew this, and he understood that his engagement in the ministry and all that he was able to do was because God opened the door. So true ministry is incompatible with self-exaltation. John said that his joy wasn't in patting himself on the back for being such an awesome dude. Such a great guy, that Johnny, Johnny B. As great as John the Baptist was, he himself testified of himself that he wasn't worthy even to untie Jesus' shoelaces. His joy wasn't the result of patting himself on the back, but it was the result of seeing Jesus on the rise in the hearts of people. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and him taking an exalted position in the lives of the people we touch. John radically redefines what success is in ministry. Success in ministry isn't a matter of oneself increasing, but of Jesus increasing. So I have a question. How are you decreasing? Church, the path to his presence is nothing short of the road to the cross. The way up is the way down, and the way down is the way through.
Another interesting passage in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. There goes those crickets again. The request of James and John, it says this. This is where Jesus redefines leadership for them. He says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. How'd you like that name? Hey, anybody pregnant? Want a baby name? Zebedee? I'm sure it's not taken. Sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Does that ever happen to you? Where people come to you and, and they, they say, hey, can you do me a favor? So what would you say? Hey, I, I want to know what the favor is before I tell you if I'm going to do it or not, right? It's like they come before, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to agree to helping me before I tell you what that help is going to be. They don't fool Jesus. This is what he says. What do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? This baptism that he's talking about was the suffering that he was going to endure. In fact, the chapter preceding, he was talking to the disciples all the time about the suffering that he's going to do. It's just, it boggles my mind sometimes because the disciples, particularly James and John, thought that they were all heading up to Jerusalem at this point. And at that point, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, boom, he's going to take over. He's going to establish military power. He's going to establish the kingdom of Israel once again. But Jesus has been telling them the whole time about the suffering that he's about to go into. And so he's asking them, can you go through what I'm about to go through? The exaltation of God comes at a cost. How many of you would love the exaltation of God? It's like, how many of you would love this or that particular blessing from God? Every blessing has a price. Every blessing has a cost. And so often we rush in to want the blessing of God without the due diligence of understanding the cost We want to walk in healing and miracles and all kinds of stuff. There's a price for that. There's a price for that. The exaltation of God comes at a cost. James and John didn't understand that yet, even though they said and answered, we can. We can go through what you're going to go through. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant. That just means they were angry and hungry. So they were hangry with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And here he switches, he flips the script on them. Not so with you. This is what the world is doing. This is their definition of success. This is their way of getting honor and authority and influence and leadership and ministry. It isn't this way with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You have to understand, in, the, in that day, to those people in that culture, slaves were the lowest of the lowest of the low. For even the Son of Man, even himself, Son of Man is Jesus' preferred title for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. And here he connects the cross to humility. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John wanted places of honor for themselves. They sought places of influence and power and authority. Interestingly, Jesus didn't criticize their ambition. He didn't take time here to say, actually, you shouldn't even be seeking this. Leadership, when you seek leadership, it's a good thing. Jesus just corrected them on how to go about it. He didn't criticize their ambition. Instead, he showed them that their approach was faulty. Leadership in Christ's kingdom is about servanthood. God-given honor only comes through humility. There's no other way. The honor that God wants to bestow upon you in your life only comes through humility. Here Jesus connects servanthood with the work of the cross. He said, I myself came to serve and that service will be the giving of my life to rescue the lives of others. In Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, Jesus is telling a parable about these dinner guests. I want to read it to you. 7 to 11. Chapter 14 of Luke, verse 7 to 11. That means the scripture's open all day, and it's got what you need. Okay? 7 to 11. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Jesus is going to this party. Everyone's sitting down. He's seeing how the people pick your chairs. He says this, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, excuse me, um, you actually can't sit here. Give this seat. Give this person your seat. And then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place because there won't be any seats left. So you have to take what's left. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves, here's the principle, will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In this parable, Jesus is teaching on humility. For the person who seeks after honor and seeks to honor themselves and persists in pursuing the seat of honor, this is the person that needs a lesson in humility. Why seek the honor that comes from man? Why not seek the honor that comes from God? Let me ask you this question. How can God honor someone who is busy honoring themselves? 
Someone so consumed with being regarded as something, what room is left for God? God's blessing cannot fall on the puffed up version of you. God's blessing is only intended to fall on the real you. So make room for God. The good news is that those who humble themselves make room for the blessings of God. Seek not the honor that fades, but for the honor that endures. If we humble ourselves, we make room for God to honor us. If we're busy chasing after ourselves being honored, what room is left for God? Second Chronicles 7.14, a verse you well know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Do you know where this passage is found? Second Chronicles, good. I'm glad you answered that. Okay. What I mean is, it's in a passage that's talking about the dedication of the temple. Solomon was dedicating the temple. And this is a promise from God at the dedication of the temple. I find it so fitting for us now that we're asking God to bless us in this new building. And on October 7th, it'll be officially dedicated. But the, the temple was really the place where God's presence was to reside. The temple is really our bodies, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as we present ourselves, as we dedicate ourselves for the work of God, as a place where the presence of God would reside, how much more important is it for us to humble ourselves and to seek his face and to turn from our sin if we, cons- if we persist in chasing after the respect that we deserve, we're so consumed with ourselves being honored, God doesn't hear us. But he hears the humble. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Humility has a lot to do with not trusting in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I picked this passage out in Proverbs because of the verses that close the proverb, verses 34 and 35. It is this, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Another way to say that is God opposes the proud. God is actively against the proud. Out of love, God will set up a situation for the proud to be humbled. It's a grace of God that he'll, when when we get puffed up, for him to come along with a spiritual needle and pop that balloon. Ever done that? No? You can imagine what it's like. You've seen cartoons. Saturday morning used to be a thing. 
God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And we find that passage quoted so many times in the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 5 and 7, it says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You see, there's the principle. If we humble ourselves, God, at the right time, will lift us up. If we humble ourselves, we make room for God to honor us. If we humble ourselves, God will turn and hear our prayers. If we humble ourselves at the right time, he will exalt us. And I'd rather God doing the exalting than me trying to work that out. It's also found in James chapter 4, 6 through 10. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scriptures say, here's the principle, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then it says this, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I love, just comes to mind Psalm 126, I believe. It's not going to be up there. It says this, those who sow in tears will reap a harvest of joy. From this passage, we see that humility is about submitting to the will of God. Both of these passages quote Proverbs 3 as mentioned. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He lifts up the low. He gives grace to the humble. Humility attracts the exaltation that comes from God. But pride attracts the tearing down. We have some examples in scripture of some stories. Maybe you know them about this king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he was proud. And he exalted himself. We learned last week how he set up statue and demanded to be worshipped. And God humbled him. But when Nebuchadnezzar came to himself and humbled himself, God restored him. Also Job. Job was brought low by all of his circumstances, but in the end... God raised him up. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling with this particular situation and you know uh, God is calling you to swallow your pride. Don't worry, there's no calories. Swallow your pride and humble yourself. And as I was preparing this message, believe me, over the last two months, had several opportunities to swallow my pride. God sought to it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. This past week was no different. I uh, met up with a pastor friend of mine. He's also a musician artist, and I uh, came to visit the new church. Kind of a last-minute thing, just coming over for coffee, and he was sharing what's going on in the ministry and everything. 
And so he was inquiring with me. And I, I really brought him here because I was concerned about him. I was wondering, how is he doing? And just wanting to get an update from him. See, you know, if he has someone in his life that he's talking to as kind of like a pastor or, you know, see if he has the support net in his life. And at the close of our meeting, you know, he flipped the script on me. He turned around and said, you know, Jordan, the Lord is just, you know, asking me to pray for you. Is it okay if we do that? And can we grab Pastor Jeff and Helen and and let's all just come around you and pray? And of course, I know I'm preaching on humility. So my response was, I don't need any prayer. I'm the pastor. I pray for you. This is the direction, right? Now, in that moment in my heart, I just knew that I needed to submit. Let me tell you, it was an interesting day. to open up my heart and to receive from someone to pray for me and to tell it like it is and to discern some of the struggles that I've had as an individual. And he was calling it out, taking me back to even my childhood And he was able to minister to me in such a way that it caused me to reflect on those things that I had no visibility on. They were deep down, buried in my heart. I didn't even know they were there. I think there's things in your heart that God wants access to. And you might not even know they're there. But God wants to set you free from those things. He wants to heal you. He wants to exalt you and honor you. But he needs access. And that comes by humbling ourselves. I won't go into detail, but I'll tell you that I grew up, he called it out. He called out this idea of, I'm only going to mention it to you because I'm hoping it's going to set some people free today. In my life, he called out this idea of shame. I thought shame was a good thing. Have you no shame? He said it dates back all the way to your childhood. In that moment, it just broke me in front of pastor. I was embarrassed. When I grew up, My brother and sister and I, we were always the pride and joy of my parents when people were watching. But behind the scenes, we were told that we were an embarrassment. That we were, if we kids were messing around, we were humiliating. And I I don't hold anything against my parents. My parents... You know, but he called it out and he said that this shame has been affecting not only your relationship with your family, but it's affecting how you are as a husband, how you are as a father, 
how you are as a minister. He's right. And so we pray this prayer of deliverance that God would just set me free from this shame, that God would just work in my heart in such a way that I would be free from this. And as I'm telling you that, maybe God is speaking to your heart too about some things that are buried down deep in there. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your work. It's affecting who you are and your understanding of who God is. I want to tell you what God told me. And I want you to receive it. And that is, God is proud of you. God loves you. God is not ashamed of his children. I, I, I reflected on this. I won't be long. I'm closing. I reflected on this with Pastor. And, I, and he, he noted said, isn't it interesting that even as a young child, we can discern what a father and a mother ought to be in our lives? We can discern that. But by the lack of that, that each of us had to varying degrees, maybe you had an awesome dad, maybe you didn't know your dad. Maybe you had an awesome mom, maybe you didn't know your mom. All of us are at different places with that. But the lack of that can still speak to us about the goodness of God. Because I knew that something was missing. I knew that this is what fatherhood should be. And that helps me to appreciate what God wants to be in my life. A father who's not ashamed to call me his son. Maybe you're here today and you are facing a point of humility in your life. Let me tell you, it's not because God is trying to tear you down. It's because he's trying to lift you up. And he needs access to your heart. So when you give it over to him, he can work in that way. Do you know that when the disciples got into the boat, Jesus, it says they they forced him into the boat. Jesus said that he compelled them. He constrained them. Constrained, that's the word, constrained. He constrained them into the boat. He knew the storm was coming. Right? But the point of why Jesus did that was not the storm. The point was to get to the other side. It's like the chicken crossing the road business. The point was to get to the other side because there was a man filled with demons that needed Jesus. The storm was only what they were passing through. And the storm in your life isn't an end in itself. The challenge to humble yourselves today is not the end in itself. It's because God has a purpose on the other side. There's a connection between humility and exaltation. God needs humility to get access to your heart. In closing, we just look at that passage again from Philippians, who being in very nature, 
God, Jesus humbled himself. And this happened. And God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point of Christ's humiliation was not an end in itself. The point of what happened to Jesus in his coming to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sacrifice for us wasn't an end in itself. It didn't stop at the cross. It ended in glory. It ended with his ascension and exaltation. And what God wants to do in you and me is the same. Our prayer as we enter into a time of communion that we would remember his example and that if we have any encouragement, any fellowship of his love, any share in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, that we would be united with Christ and united with one another. It's been an honor and a privilege serving you from this table. Stay humble.